in Romans 11, now David is brought into the picture. Romans chapter 11, look at verse number 9. Bible said, uh, says, And David saith, Let their table be, a be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. David comes into play and then the table comes into play. So we're going to talk about this this afternoon. And you would think, David comes into the picture, you would think if there would be one person that the Jewish nation or the Jewish people would listen to, it would be David. I mean, he's the anointed king. He's their psalm singer. He slew Goliath. And so it's fitting that he's brought into the picture now. Um, and God is basically saying, if you're going to rebel against God, nation, <laughs> my Jewish people, the bounty, the full bounty that I've put in front of you is going to end up being a trap. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But when you think of a, a table, what, do you, what, is that, what picture comes to your mind? You know, what's coming up, the Thanksgiving, we give Thanksgiving to God, right? And you think about, we sit around the table and it's about feasting, it's about eating, it's about drinking. During that time, we're not concerned about enemies. We're completely unaware of that. It's not even an issue. And so this idea of the table comes in because the nation is trusting in their carnal security and their law, and it's going to be, and it is right now, their their ruin. Go back to Exodus. Let's run some Old Testament verses. There's so much that we see, especially in uh, chapter 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, uh, that we, that, that's cross-references in the Old Testament. Let's look at some Old Testament principles, and then we'll get to the cross-references. Exodus 24. Exodus 24. Look at verse number 11. Uh, let's start at verse number 9. Exodus 24, verse 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nabad and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. They're their leaders. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles, that's Moses, Aaron, Nahum, Bihu, the 70 elders, that's those, those are the leaders, they're the nobles of the nation, that's what that means, of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also, look at this, they saw God and did eat and drink. They're eating and drinking with God. And remember, in Exodus in chapter 33, it says, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And these nobles, these rulers or leaders of Israel, they're blessed. They can gather around the table, and that's, an, that's a really powerful verse. They can eat and drink and still live. There's a connection between their eating and drinking and the table. There's a connection there between them communing with God. You remember back in Exodus 12, that whole Passover feast and that whole lamb, that sacrificed lamb, it, was, it wasn't just a regular meal. 
it was a sacred feast. It was a sacred meal. It was something that shouldn't have been taken lightly. Uh, go to the book of Leviticus and grab chapter number 6. Leviticus chapter 6. <clears throat> Look at verse 16. Leviticus chapter 6. Uh, let's pick it up at verse 14. And this is the law of the meat offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord, before the altar. And he shall take of it his handful of the flour of the meat offering and of the oil thereof, all the frankincense which is upon the meat offering, and shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor, even the memorial of it unto the Lord. This was all done for the Lord. That's what it was about. And it says, And the remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat. Well, they couldn't, you know, when they're serving the Lord, they can't, they're, they're laboring for the Lord, so they can't stop and eat. So what happened is, there's a remainder that's left over for Aaron and his sons. And so it says, The remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat. With unleavened bread shall it be eaten in the holy place, in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall eat it. So their duty was to attend to the service of the Lord, and while they were doing that, they weren't able to eat, because if they did, they would have defiled themselves. They had a special job to do. But God made a provision. And there was a place, it wasn't the Holy of Holies, but there was a place that was set aside and it was just for the males. It wasn't for uh, the women. And they were able to eat uh, before God. And it was a special sacred thing, all of that. The, sac uh, the Passover meal was sacred. We looked at um, Exodus 24 and, and those nobles or leaders are eating. And around the table with the Lord, it wasn't just a, a, a thing that was taken like a light, no big deal type thing. It was a big deal to the nation. It was that food and that meal had so much uh, significance to communing with and fellowshipping with, with God. Go to Leviticus chapter 7. Look at verse number 18. It says, um, pick it up at 17, I'm sorry, Leviticus 7, 17. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire and... If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering shall be eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted. Uh, ladies and moms, I'm sure you're, you, you know, leftovers are an important part. You don't want to waste it. Except here, <laughs> there were no three-day leftovers. That meat would putrefy and it would be unclean. And so there weren't three-day leftovers for uh, the Levitical law. It wasn't going to happen. It says, it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be imputed unto him that offereth it. It shall be an abomination, and the soul that eateth of it shall bear his iniquity. And look at verse number 20. But the soul that eateth of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings that pertain unto the Lord 
having his uncleanness upon him, even that soul shall be cut off from the people. You could only, what's going on here? If you're going to partake of a meal, you can only do so if you were ceremonial clean. And if you weren't, you couldn't partake of it. So if it remained for three days and it started to putrefy, if you touched that meat that was unclean and starting to putrefy, if you touched it, now you're unclean. And because now you're unclean, you've got to be set apart from the people. And now we may say, well, what's the big deal? It's just leftovers. Let's not waste it. Well, God said burn it. And it was real important that they follow what the Lord said. We think, well, you know, let's not waste it and let's, you know, and that might be okay now, but for that people and that nation, these things were very specific and very important that they learned to trust God and not their own understanding. But it was, it was the consequence for that sin was exclusion from the people. And, the, and by the way, that was true not only for the priests, but also for the people as well. Um, let's, look at, let's look at Deuteronomy and go to the 12th chapter. Deuteronomy 12. Look at more of a connection of the food and the table and the feasting. Look at Deuteronomy chapter number 12. Let's go down to uh, verse 7. And there ye shall eat before the Lord. See that phrase? Your God. You shall eat before the Lord your God. And ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto, ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. There was rejoicing around the table. This before the Lord, it's, it's a picture of the communing with God and understanding what He has provided. Look at verse 18 in Deuteronomy 12. We see the same idea. Um, but thou must eat them before the Lord. There's the phrase again. Before the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. Thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy maidservant and thy maid, manservant and maidservant. And the Levite that was within thy gates. And thou shalt, here's the phrase again, rejoice before the Lord thy God in all that thou puttest thine hands unto. It's eating before the Lord. It's the place that the Lord chose. There's rejoicing. We also see it in Deuteronomy chapter number 14. And this was something that was important to the nation. It should have been. It was important to the Lord for them to do this. Look at verse 14. I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 23. Uh, Deuteronomy 14, verse 23. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of the corn, of the wine, and of the oil, and of the firstlings, and of the herds of thy flocks, Thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. Again, that phrase, before the Lord thy God, and we see the place, and we see the tithe, and how important that was to bring that food, and that was used and around the table, and people were um, remembering the Lord. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture, that table of eating and being before the Lord. One more in Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 27. Deuteronomy 27, 
Look at verse number 7. And thou shalt offer peace offerings, and thou shalt eat there, and here's the phrase again, and rejoice before the Lord thy God. So for the Jewish people, there's a connection we see throughout the Old Testament. We looked at a few verses between the table and God Himself. And He makes that connection of communing. And this is one of the reasons why it was so important when God said, you don't eat this, you eat that. It was a ceremonial thing. It was a way to set them apart. So they didn't have the same diet as any old nation. And uh, that was what was so important about Daniel. He's like, look, I've got a diet. God told me to eat this and not that. <laughs> and so y'all can just do whatever you want, but I'm going to choose to stick with God. But it was important that they did what God told them to do if they believed and trusted God. But what happened is they go into apostasy. And Romans chapter number 11, David comes in and the table comes in because instead of trusting him, the bounty that was put in front of them, they started trusting in how and in what they would eat rather than in who provided what they would eat. And that is where the snare and the trap and the stumbling block comes in. So that is the importance of verses 9 and 10 in Romans chapter number 11 in understanding where the nation is today. Their bounty has become a snare to them and a trap. Remember we looked at Acts chapter number 10. Uh, I think it was Thursday night we talked about it. Peter, he's hungry. He's praying. He's hungry. He's on the housetop. He goes into a trance. And uh, he hears the voice of the Lord. And it says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Right? Well, Peter don't get it. Why doesn't he get it? Because of all those verses we looked at. Because God said, hey, you can eat this and not that. And now he hears a voice saying, no, it's okay. So it's a disconnect for Peter because he was used to one way and now he hears this voice telling him another way. He, a matter of fact, he responds by saying, not so, Lord. Why? Because he knew the Old Testament scriptures. So he says, not so, Lord. The Old Testament ceremonial cleansing and what they ate and why they ate and when they ate, it was important. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter responded that way because the Old Testament scriptures were important to him. And so Romans 11, let's go back there. Romans 11, verse... Number nine, and David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. And without true faith in God, really, that's all the table becomes. And you've got a privilege, but it's a trap. It's like the privileged kid syndrome. It's the rich kid syndrome. Well, we need to be careful. We don't have that syndrome, the rich kid syndrome or Israel syndrome. You know, God's been so good to us. He's been blessed us with so much. Um, I know we say it's Thanksgiving Day, but really it shouldn't just be a day. I hope it's not, well, it's one day. Let's just be thankful for one day at one meal at one time. It should be 
a more magnified reminder of thanksgiving to God, but we would really be doing ourselves a disservice in our Christian walk if it's just, well, we're just thankful for one day. It shouldn't be so. Each meal that we have, we should be equally thankful for. We talked about this, so we won't go down this uh, rabbit trail this afternoon, but Thanksgiving, I mean, even people that are poor and homeless are going to have a healthy meal in America. That's not true for a lot of the world. We're a small little section of what the bigger picture of this worldwide population is. So let's not make all the bountiful blessings that God has given us, let's not allow that to have us fall into a spirit of slumber and, and, and forget the Lord. Now, what is interesting, uh, go to John 12, uh, John 13, because I want to look at the Last Supper here concerning the table. Go to John 13. And John 13, let's start reading at verse 21. John 13, verse 21. The Bible says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. He's speaking to the disciples. Then, verse 22, the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Jesus says it. Disciples have no clue on who he's talking about. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. It's, Judas is there with the disciples and everybody's clueless. That's the scene around the table. <laughs> okay, uh, where are we at? So now we're at verse number 25. Watch what it says. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Well, Jesus is going to tell him who it is in the next verse. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. So Jesus tells him, look, the betrayer is this, whom I shall give a sop. Well, that would be pretty easy to figure out. The previous verses, nobody has a clue. So Simon Peter asks Jesus so that they would have a clue. Jesus not only gives them a clue, he gives them the answer. So what did they have to do to figure out who it was? Ask. Well, they asked. They got the answer. Okay, I'll just look and see who Jesus gives a sop. <laughs> and I got it. Right? He gave him the answer. Well, let's keep reading verse number 27. And after the sop, Satan entered... Uh, uh, I missed the verse. I'm sorry. I missed the end of verse 26. And when... Verse 26. And when he had dipped the sop, he, that's Jesus, gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. 
Judas is before the Lord, just like the other disciples. He's next to him. He's around the table. They're all sitting him. They're all sitting there with him. And as he dipped the sop, Judas, where was Judas when Satan entered into him? He's right around that table. That table's a trap and a snare. He's right there with Jesus. The disciples were clueless. Everybody was clueless. They ask, Jesus gives them the answer. This is who it is. But here's what's interesting. Look at verse 28. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. It's like as if Jesus did it so discreetly to not even attract attention to the rest. And now we have at the table this betrayal happens. You know what that pictures? Apostate Israel around the table of the Lord. It's a trap to them. It's a snare to them. Judas, he presumes his place at the table. I'm with the other disciples. I should be with them. I should be gathering around the table. Right? He presumes his place. And it becomes a trap. That nation of Israel, you know what they're doing? Presuming their place around the table. And God says, it's going to be a strap to you. It's going to be a snare to you. And it is. Because of all those bountiful blessings. They're before the Lord. They're eating before the Lord. They know what the law says. But it's becoming, it's becoming a trap. And they've got all the feasts but they don't really have a real relationship of communion with the Lord. Judas is sitting there around the table. There's no, there's no relationship. The nation can sit around the table and do their feast unto the Lord. Young people, pay attention. They can do all their feasts unto the Lord, but have no communion with them. Now, practical application. I hope that's not our table. I hope that's not our table. The cross reference from Romans 11 goes to Psalms 69. So let's go there. Psalms 69. Psalms 69. We'll hit our cross reference. Psalm 69. All right, let's grab verse 22. Psalm 69, verse 22. All right, everybody got your spot here. It says, uh, let their table become a snare before them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually to shake. You see that cross-reference? Romans 11, 9 and 10 is straight out of Psalm 69. The nation had the privilege and they had the enjoyment of what? Communing and feasting with God. They can banquet with the Lord. But that security and that feasting and that pleasure to the nation became a trap. You come around a table with somebody, it's supposed to be a place of nourishment 
and fellowship. And it's supposed to be for everybody's benefit and for our welfare. But it turned out not to be so for the nation. So you see that cross-reference in verses 22 and 23. It's right to Romans 11. Um, watch what takes place in Psalm 69 in the text prior to verse number 22. Watch, let's pick up at verse 19 in Psalm 69. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, for there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Christ is rejected by the Jews and he's put on the cross, and that's what they gave him to eat and drink. Isn't that sad? Isn't that a sad thing? That comes right before the verse we just read. Let their table become a snare before them. I'm telling you, this Bible is a two-edged sword. It really will either darken your eyes or open your eyes. It'll either save you or it will become a snare and a trap unto you. You'll either receive it for your welfare or you won't believe it, you won't receive it, and you'll instead be on the receiving end of God's wrath. But He gave it to you for your welfare. He gave it to you so you would be saved. You wouldn't fall into a snare of the devil. He wants you to see. But that's a, that's a powerful picture. The before and after. They gave Him gall and vinegar and right after that, let their table become a snare. Go to Mark 7. I'd like to look at that. And... You have to remember that the Jews were fine if the Messiah would come and just, hey, just knock out all those Romans and set up the kingdom for us, Lord. I mean, they'd be fine for that. They just weren't fine with the Lord being born in a manger and then not being nice to them, which is, which is what we're going to look at now. Look at Mark 7. Just get all those Romans out of the way. Get, set up that kingdom for us, Lord. Mark 7. Look at verse number 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. Now you know this is going to get good. Because here they come. And when they saw some of the disciples, oh boy, eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. Well, no kidding, they're Pharisees. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Now, the Jews are used to what? We just looked, remember those verses we looked at? They're used to ceremonial cleansing. They're used to ceremonial washing. They're used to all of that. So it's no big deal for these Pharisees and scribes to now enter in and find what? Fault. Because they're doing wrong. Or so they thought. 
That's the whole point of what Romans 11 verses 9 and 10 is trying to bring forth. And watch, let's continue to read verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? You work outside all day, you get dirty, and now you're going to come have a meal, and you don't wash up. Pharisees, Knew the Old Testament Scriptures. They knew the book of Leviticus better than you and I. And you mean to tell me you're not going to follow the tradition of the elders? You're not being a good Jew. And they found fault. And he answered and said unto him, and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And Jesus said, you know what? You want us to wash our hands? I'll tell you what. How about I wash your heart? And the Pharisees just became unglued. And they hated the Lord for it. Just set up our kingdom, will you? <laughs> He's going to wash their hearts before their hands are washed. And that's the issue. It's not coming to the table and having our hands washed and our ties fixed and sitting up properly and not having our elbows on the table. What is it about? It's the fellowship and the communion and the heart connection. And that's what the Pharisees missed. Go to Luke 11. Luke chapter 11. All right, Luke 11. And verse 37. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. That's what it says, And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. They're going to have a meal. And he went in and sat down to meet. Isn't that nice? It is. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. There it is again. And now the Lord said unto him, now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Again, that's the point. It's not that Jesus doesn't want to sit down and have a meal with people. Two chapters earlier, He fed 5,000 people. <laughs> He wants to fellowship and He wants to do that around a meal and a table and food. But the Pharisees are all stuck on ceremonial, law-keeping, outward ordinances and their heart isn't connected. And that is a problem still today. You can take that application in New Testament churches. If our hearts aren't knit together in love, all it is is outward ceremonies. Well, what are we going to do next? Well, what are we going to do next? Well, maybe what we should do next is get our hearts knit together. That's what Jesus is telling these Pharisees. Well, we'll just wash up the cups and the platters. Okay, great, but how about your heart? How about the inward parts? Again, the inward should reflect the outward, not the other way around. Let's go back to uh, Romans 11, but go Matthew 12. We're going to look at these two verses 
and then we'll close out. Matthew 12, Matthew 12, and Romans 11. We'll start in Romans 11. We'll look at this last verse, number 10. Uh, we'll need Zechariah 12 as well. Might as well get all our verses before we flip pages here. Ah, lost Matthew. Matthew 12. And then go back. Second to the last book of the Bible, you'll get Zechariah. You want chapter 12? Okay, we should be all set. Romans 11, Zechariah 12, and Matthew 12. All right, one more verse we're going to conquer here. Lord willing. Romans 11, look at verse 10. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. That always in the context just means continuously without interruption. It doesn't mean forever. But right now, it's always. It's continuously without interruption. And it won't be until the second coming of Christ that national Israel finally tur turns to God. So in verse number 10, when it says at the end, and bow down their back always, that let their eyes be dark and they may not see, all that, verse number 10, that's what it is right now. Continuously, that will be the case until the second coming of the Lord when they will finally trust the Lord nationally. Zechariah 12. Turn there. You've got your spot already. Flip to Zechariah 12. That is going to happen. Watch this. Verse number 10. When God pours out His Spirit of grace on them. Watch. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit of grace and of supplication, and they, that's the nation, shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they, the nation, shall mourn for him, that's the Messiah, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that in his bitterness for his firstborn. At the second coming of Christ, this is going to happen. But until then, it's going to be a continuous blinding that's going to happen. Matter of fact, at the catching away of the church, it's going to get worse. You and I look at what's going on now and we say it's bad. Fine, it is. But it isn't anything in the comparison to what will happen once we are caught away. It will get worse. Look at Matthew 12 for this. Matthew 12. Look at verse 45. Matthew 12, 45. Um... Oh, let's pick it up at 43. Jesus speaking here. I mean, this, is a good, this is good preaching, but I'm going to give you some doctrine. But these are, this is a great preaching chapter too uh, for personal practical application. But what, I want to get you some doctrine on this. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house 
from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. When the Christian remnant is called out and the church is gone, guess what happened? It's empty. <laughs> it's been swept. It's been garnished. There is no Christian witness. It's gone. You think it's bad now? Wait until the Holy Spirit that's dwelt in believers and then we're all out of here. Now watch, keep reading. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter in and dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now that's great and it's all true. But that verse and Jesus' saying here doesn't end there. Because the last part of that verse says, Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. And when we are called out, when we are called out, it is going to turn from bad to worse. And this wicked generation, man, I'll tell you, there's going to be more evil, more deception abroad that you can even, you, you can't fathom how bad it's going to be. I'm not going to be there, neither are you. If you're saved, you're not going to be there. It won't be until Matthew 24 where Zechariah 12 is fulfilled. Matthew 24, look at verse 30. Matthew 24, verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. This is when Zechariah 12 is fulfilled. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That is Zechariah chapter number 12, verse 10. That is when that will be fulfilled. Let me read that verse one more time to you. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. That is when they're not going to be bowing down their back always. That's when their eyes will no longer be darkened when they see that. They're going to look upon Him in whom they have pierced. Zechariah 12, Matthew 24, all that's going to be fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. One more thought, and then we'll be done. Thomas, remember Thomas? He had to see. He, he, wouldn't, he, was, he was doubting Thomas. And in chapter 20 of John, he says, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, he says in that chapter, he says, I will not believe. And you know what that is a picture of? The coming conversion of the nation of Israel. Because they are finally, Thomas points to that, they are finally going to look upon Him in whom they have pierced. 
So what do we do until then? We provoke them to jealousy like God asked us to with the preaching of the gospel. 